You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Death construction in the fields of bodies burning as the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind, poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'd like to welcome all our listeners across Australia in each state and uh, in each uh, territory. So thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World This Week. And if you Waiting for an exciting program. Sorry, folks. There's a lot of, a lot of heavy stuff to go through today. A lot of analysis. So if you want, uh, if you, you know, you want excitement, I, I suggest you go to a Matilda uh, next Matilda game. But uh, sometimes you've got to do boring stuff in order to find out what's happening around you. So today we are going to compare apples and oranges. But before we do that, we are going we are going to define anarchism. Anarchos without rulers. Anarchism is a very simple philosophical, ideological, whatever you like to call it, political, social, cultural movement based on the idea of creating a society without rulers. Not without rules, but without rulers. Why? What gives what gives what causes most of the problems in society today? Inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power. That's share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and it's the struggle to hold wealth in common. Okay? Very simple concepts. So if you're looking for radical, revolutionary stuff, I suggest you uh, look at what's happening around the world today. The fact that we allow individuals to make decisions and small groups to make decisions that affect billions of people, making decisions about life and death, to me, that is bloody radical when we give rulers that ability. Not only do we give them that ability, we support them. It's extraordinary, extraordinary the way the world is today. And in many regards, it's been the bame of human history, you know. Inequalities in power and wealth. We've got all the trappings of the powerful the buildings they left behind, the monuments that have been built on the blood, bones and and flesh of hundreds of millions of people who've died. But that's the reality we face today. Oranges and apples. I'm very interested. I've always been, been very interested, being an old chap these days, I've been very interested in how opinions are made, 
how societies have particular opinions about particular ideas. And this was brought home to me in the last week in a very uh, direct way, listening to people who I've known for a number of years denigrate public housing tenants quite viciously. And it got me thinking about the stereotypes that are created that we need in society in order to maintain the status quo because the whole purpose of a stereotype is to ensure that the inequalities that exist continue to exist. And I've really been interested in the last 40 to 50 years in seeing how the public realm has been denigrated in the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution that swept the world. Now, I know you're sick of hearing this, but repetition sometimes is necessary, as you know, all those of you who've been to school. So the denigration of the public realm has been central, central to the debate about capitalism, private investment for private profit. And it's a very simple analogy that's been created in the public mind, not just in people who are part of the investment class or the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, but an extraordinary number of people, including people on social security benefits. This denigration of the public realm, the public, the many, the people. This denigration is central to what we have seen occur in Australian society over the last 40 years. Central. Private is good, public is bad. And the brilliant thing about this philosophy which can be in, in, um, encompassed in the, uh, the aspire, aspire class or the aspire mentality that's deeply ingrained in our society is the fact that what it does, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, these people I heard denigrate the public housing tenants and the public housing system should have known better because many of them were on social security benefits. And then when you think about it, you think about apples and oranges. There is a difference between an apple and an orange. You know, a big difference between an apple and an orange. And, and you need to compare them. You can't say they're on an equal footing. So let's look at what the pub public realm is about. In a capitalist society, a private investment of private profit society, the public realm is created in order to maintain order. That's right, in order to maintain order. I like that tautology in society. 
That's why we have a social security system. Not a welfare system where you dole out stuff to people who haven't got enough and say, tut, tut, here you are. It's a social security system. Society looks after those people who find themselves in difficult situation, some through no fault of their own, others through faults of their own. And the payback is that you have a society where there is security for all, including the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. We've seen the fallout of the little protest that occurred outside the home of the CEO of Woodside. That's what I mean by social security, a security for the nation as a whole. And obviously as inequality grows, insecurity grows for those who exercise power and they need to spend more and more time and money on personal security as well as creating a mentality in the population at large, that somehow the status quo is what's necessary ad infinitum. So stereotypes and denigration go hand in hand. You need stereotypes. Now, obviously, the difference, the essential difference between a privately obtained service or good and one which is obtained from the public sector is access to money, resources. In this country, if you've got the money, you can buy the best education possible for your little kiddies so they'll they'll continue to emulate your ideas and opinions. You can buy the best healthcare available You can enjoy your life with all that disposable income you have. So it's about access to resources, ultimately. So obviously, when you look at the private sector and you look at the public sector, you're looking at two different systems. Like when you look at apples and oranges, two totally different systems. Now, I've been involved in the healthcare industry for 47 years. It is an industry. And I am quite adamant that the difference between the private system, health system, and the public system is that the private system picks and chooses. Picks and chooses not only who it will treat depending on their insurance capabilities or the amount of cash they have at their disposal. But it picks and chooses in terms of how difficult the case may be. And if it's a difficult case, in many regards, it's transferred to the public system, the public health system. It's the same with the education Now, you may have the money to send your kiddies to the best school, in inverted commas, in the country. The trouble is, if your kids aren't interested or they don't have the intellectual capacity, their continued uh, appearance 
in those top schools creates a problem. And at the end of every year, as far as Year 11 students are concerned in many of the top schools, they're asked to move on to the public sector. So the difference between private and public is the fact the private sector picks and chooses. It not expels, but it doesn't incorporate everybody. What the public sector does is it incorporates everybody. It doesn't cherry-pick the best cherries and leaves the rest behind on the tree. A public sector is for everybody. That's why a public social security system, which is not based on charity, which is based on the fact that you're a resident or a citizen, encompasses everybody. Everybody who has need then gets incorporated in that public system. It's the same with the public health system. If you have a medical issue, especially a catastrophic medical issue, it doesn't matter how much private health insurance you've got, you will eventually find, you will find yourself in the public health sector. Same with education. And the list goes on and on. Same with the aged care industry, early, early childhood development industry, and these are industries. So let's not forget the difference between the private and public is private picks and chooses, cherry picks, is not responsible for everybody. It is only responsible for the people who have the cash, the resources, the money in order to access those services on a private investment for private profit um, mantra. So, let's go back to this, these stereotypes. Let's go back to public housing. Now, I understand there are issues with the public housing sector, and I understand there are issues with the social security system, and I understand there are issues with public education, and I understand there are issues with public health. But are these issues due to the fact that they're public, that they're meant to provide for everybody, or are these issues due to the type of society we have where taxation revenue from those who have assets continues to decrease on a per capita basis compared to taxation revenue from everybody else. So when they say to you, we don't have enough money for the aged care sector or the early childhood development sector or public education or public health or any other public service, we don't have the money. Why don't we have the money? It's because of the type of society we have created. Where over the last 40 years, if you're an investor, every dollar you invest, if it makes a profit, and obviously some investments don't make profits, two-thirds of that dollar goes back to the investor and one-third goes to the workers who actually provided that service. 40 years ago, two-thirds went to the worker and one-third went to the investor. So in many regards, we find ourselves in this situation 
with a public education system, the public health system, the public uh, housing system, which were designed to provide, you know, a public social security system, which were designed to provide access to everybody in that society, in many regards not able to pro- provide those services because of the lack of investment by government in those services. And nothing highlights this than the public housing fiasco we are currently facing in this country. Well, we are seeing political parties pushing private solutions to the public housing crisis when we know that pushing private solutions to areas of life where you don't normally make a profit, like aged care and early childhood development, is a disaster for most Australians. Not all Australians, those who've got the disposable income to enjoy their retirement in a five-star nursing home with a coffee-making machine and a chef, good on you. But the rest of people, well, it's a problem. It's about resources, how resources are allocated, but more importantly, how do you obtain resources? And in a private investment for private profit model, a significant proportion of the wealth that is created by that model goes back to the people who created that wealth, irrespective of the amount of public input into the creation of that wealth, public roads, a social security system, a legal system, the armed forces to maintain the status quo. There are all these public facilities out there which allow private corporations to make increasing profits. Look at the alcohol industry, smoking industry, gambling industry. Extraordinary costs to the community. Are these costs encompassed in the business model of these organisations? No. The public purse has to pick up the casualties. And it's the same in all aspects of a private investment for private profit model. So the reality is that when I've known people in public housing, for decades, I've many patients who are in public housing, and obviously there are bad eggs in the public housing sector, as well as there are bad eggs in the private investment for private profit sector. But that doesn't mean that everybody in those sectors is a bad egg, and that's what stereotypes are about. They're about creating a mentality in the population at large, to ensure that the inequalities that exist in society continue to exist. And this model, this model has been used regarding all minorities in this country, whether it's First Nations people, whether it's immigrants, whether it's people on social security benefits, and that's what, you know, Morrison's robo-debt scheme was all about. And as I said before, this disease, and it is a disease, it's a cancer 
these stereotypes regarding the public sector, the underfunding of the public sector to provide services to people who can't afford to buy BUY, those essential services, is, become, is becoming a real issue in the 21st century. Because if you look at the history of the human race, especially in the late 19th century and the 20, early 20th century, the first part of the 20th century, that history was a history of revolts and revolutions and protests. And what happened is the nature of the state changed, not because it wanted to change, it changed from an instrument which ensured ruling classes continued to rule to an instrument which actually began to look after the needs of the population as a whole. And nothing highlighted this more than what happened after World War II when Churchill was turfed out of office by the English people because they wanted some reward for the sacrifices they had made during World War II. It was the same in Australia. That's where the public housing sector began. So let's not compare apples and oranges because you can't compare apples and oranges. They've got a few things in common. They've got a lot which is different. Let's not rely on stereotypes because stereotypes is what fosters racism. It's what fosters inequality. It's what creates hatred. It's what stops us moving forward as a society. Stereotypes, creating stereotypes about particular sections of the population, and we see it constantly in the media, whether it's the, whether it's the um, government guild at ABC or the uh, corporate-owned media or social media, they feed on stereotypes. They promote stereotypes and all those media hacks that are now beating themselves on the breast regarding the robo-debt fiasco need to understand it was them taking up those stereotypes which are incorporated in the lift, lifters and leaners philosophy that the previous government had which allowed the government to create robo-debt and create all the issues and problems that it has created. And it's the same with stereotypes. Obviously, in any community, there are people who behave badly. I mean, we've just heard in the past 24 hours of one of the most disturbing accusations that I've heard for a long time in terms of child sexual abuse in this country and charges being laid. Now, I don't know whether that individual is African or European or Arab or Aboriginal. I don't know. But it doesn't really matter. The problem is that if that particular individual comes from a minority group, what that does is reinforces stereotypes in the community that have been created by an exposure to a media that is only interested, and I'm not just talking about the legacy media, but social media, that is just only interested in dividing us as human beings. 
because ultimately that old adage that if we're divided, we never win is describes the situation we find ourselves in, you know? And that's the dilemma. We're divided constantly. Nothing highlights this than the voice the voice to Parliament referendum for a First Nations people. The misinformation, the disinformation, the outright lies, the hysteria surrounding that particular debate. We see it every day in many aspects of day-to-day living. So think about it. We all, I mean, institutionalised inequality is a significant issue in this country and we continue to support in institutionalised inequality because the stere- of the stereotypes that are created in order to divide us. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. Let's move on. Blood batteries. Blood batteries. Fancy word, isn't it? Blood batteries. How do batteries have blood on them? Well, a little bit of a history lesson. At the beginning of the motor uh, vehicle uh, explosion, at the beginning of the 20th century, King Leopold of Belgium, that's right, good old King Leo, held the Congo as his own personal fiefdom. And the great thing about the Congo at that particular point in time is that this new little machine needed rubber wheels. That's right. And guess where there was a lot of rubber to be tapped in the Congo? And in a period of less than 20 years, over 10 million the greatest holocaust in the 20th century, greater than the Nazi holocaust. Over 10 million Congolese died, unnecessarily murdered, to gather rubber in order to keep those nice little motor vehicles running. Put the clock forward 125 years forward, 2023, and we have an equivalent occurring in the Democratic Republic of Congo, DRC, today. As we move from petrol-driven engines in motor vehicles to electric-driven engines in motor vehicles. Rubber was the rallying cry of the investment classes at the beginning of the 20th century, which saw the genocide, the mass murder which occurred in the Congo then. Today, it's cobalt and lithium, but mainly cobalt. And today in this country, we have refugees from the Democratic Republic of the Congo living among us who have been forced off their lands in genocidal wars in order for that land to be mined for cobalt so that we can have batteries in our electric vehicles. And as I speak, as I speak, 
there are tens of thousands of men, women and children, virtual slaves, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, eking out a subsistence existence, mining cobalt with their bare hands. And this cobalt is bought up for a fraction of its real cost, real price, by a number of transnational corporations, including some from China and, and France and the US. Because cobalt has become the next rubber and are our victims. And these victims are among us. It's a very simple concept. Initially, you foment war between different groups, in particular areas of the Congo where there is co cobalt. They're driven off their lands at the point of a gun, machete to death, butchered. And I'm not making this up. This is what we've seen over the last 15 to 20 years in the DRC. Once they're driven off their lands, corporations come in and mine, and at the, at the same time, tens of thousands of people who are living subsistence existence come and do and also mine in a similar way to the, you know, the Industrial Revolution in the 1830s you know, in England. So blood batteries. We all know about blood diamonds in West Africa, which were used to um, finance genocidal wars in that area. But now something we should think about is blood batteries. Where does the cobalt come from? Why are people being removed from their lands at the point of a machete? People who've lived on those lands for generations. Why are tens of people being forced to mine in slave-like conditions cobalt in the Democratic Republic of the Congo to feed and create our electric batteries in our fancy electric cars? Not that I'm saying that we shouldn't fight against increased global emissions and phase out petrol consumption of vehicles and replace them with batteries. But at the same time, we as a people, as a society, should be looking at who is paying the price. Who is paying that ultimate price so that we can have batteries for electric vehicles which are sold in the private marketplace? Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. 30 grams. You like that? 30 grams. Have you ever weighed out 30 grams? Uh, well, it's not much, is it? 30 grams, is it? Oh, what? Kilo of butter, what's that? 1,000 grams? Break that up into uh, 100 pieces, that's 10 grams. Three pieces of that is 30 grams. Well, somebody was executed, a middle-aged woman was executed in Singapore, I think two days ago, hung by the neck for having 30 grams of heroin on her when she entered Singapore. Mm. 
30 grams. Hung. And I think 15 people have been hung for drug offences in Singapore in the last year. I could be incorrect. Could be more, could be less. Now, we all know that Singapore has always had a... Uh, uh, this um, is extraordinary sentences for uh, drug addiction or drug abuse or importation. But 30 grams? You hang a middle-aged woman for having 30 grams of heroin on her? Extraordinary. You hang the mule? You hang the user? And we all think of Singapore as such an... Uh, such a sophisticated nation-state, island nation-state, financial capital of the universe, public housing, Mecca, 30 grams. Well, there is something you can do. Now, people travel. They're travelling again. Just ignore Singapore. Don't use their airline. Tell them why. Don't go there on a holiday. Don't go there on a cruise. The list goes on and on. But come on, 30 grams and you hang somebody for 30 grams of heroin and you do it legally as far as their laws are concerned? Extraordinary. Just extraordinary. There are extraordinary things happening in the world. They happen constantly, you know, like the blood batteries and, and the cobalt mining in the Congo. What's happened to it? What's happening to Indigenous Australians? This crazy, crazy so-called discussion regarding a voice to Parliament, the list goes on and on. But hanging somebody for having 30 grams of heroin, and I'm not talking about, you know, some so-called you know, uh, dictatorial regime, let's say North Korea, but 30 grams in a so-called democratic state in the first quarter of the 21st century? Give me a break. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. What I love about the coalition on the federal level, that's the uh, Liberal National Party, is they never seem to learn. They never seem to learn. It's an extraordinary mob of misfits. And my apologies to misfits, and I include my, myself in that definition. What an extraordinary mob of people. Now, not that I've got much love for the uh, alternative Liberal Party masquerading as the Albanese-led Labor Party in the federal parliament, but the fact is they were going to put in legislation that was going to increase New Start allowance payments by $40, you know, $40. I think it was a fortnight. Maybe it was a week. I think it was a fortnight. 40 bucks. And the coalition is going to block that. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe it. I really can't. And what's their answer? Well, we are going to 
we suggest that we increase the ability of people to earn $125 a week before it you know, impinges on their social security benefits. Come on. Most people on the allowance, on unemployment uh, uh, social security benefits, aren't in a position to look for work, aren't in a position to work part-time for a variety of reasons. Many people who are unemployed today are unemployed because of their age or their disability and because of the government's harsh legislation regarding eligibility to disability support pension, they find themselves on unemployment benefits for the rest of their working lives. Come on. Really? Can't you do better than that? Aren't there more interesting things to actually debate? Like, <sighs> extraordinary. Haven't changed. Nothing has changed. Philosophy hasn't changed. Ideology hasn't changed. They're just waiting for the moment, you know. Ah, well, at least Mr Pursuto in Victoria is beginning to understand that if he wants to be the next Premier of Victoria, he needs to actually extend the Liberal Party's policies to actually maybe occasionally benefit people who find themselves, you know, in a difficult situation. What next? Now, you may have heard, and I'm sure you have, because it's all the news, not that I'm that interested, that Mr Trump is going to be indicted on conspiracy charges, you know, regarding democracy and all that garbage in the United States of America. And I'm thinking to myself, hmm, this is interesting, isn't it? Because something has happened in this country over the last decade. Something very dangerous. Exceptionally dangerous. And that is that we have given up our sovereign rights as a nation state to defend ourselves to the United States of America. And we've done this for a variety of ways. We've done this by having US bases on our soil. We've done this by increasing the number of United States troops in Northern Australia. And again, these are things that, you know, happen. But over the last few years, it's got a little bit more sinister. What we've now done, and the Taipan helicopter disaster, you know, highlights this. What we've now done is we've incorporated our defence system with the United States military industrial complex. The purchase of nuclear submarines the placement of United States intelligence officers among our own intelligence officers. The purchase, the major pur purpose of United States armaments. And in a highly technological society, as far as uh, weapons, or the weapons of mass destruction are concerned, or weapons of war are concerned, as we see in the Ukraine, 
the fact is that when you incorporate your defense system with the defense system of another country, your ability to maintain your sovereign integrity, and more importantly, your ability as a nation to defend yourself, is grossly compromised. Grossly compromised, not just in terms of us, you know, barking at the feet of the United States if there's a war against China over Taiwan, but more importantly, being totally dependent on the United States military-industrial complex. And what's that got to do with Mr Trump's conspiracy charges? Well, it's very simple. It's quite likely that in 2024 we will see a rerun of the 2018 election where Mr Trump and President Biden will once again be singing for the hearts and minds of the United States people, you know, in some type of pathetic election. So what happens if the president changes? What happens if the president of the United States, let's forget about Mr Trump and Mr Biden, turns out to be some viral warmonger? Hmm? And our defence system is totally integrated, the Australian defence system is totally integrated with the American defence system. What it means is we have no ability to determine our own foreign policy. We have no ability to defend ourselves unless we as a nation are willing to support the United, Na support the United States in whatever they decide to do. It's an extraordinary Dangerous game we are playing. Extraordinary dangerous game. Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia during the, <laughs> via the community radio network. I was going to say during, I mean via Hiroshima Day, 6th of August. Now, I'm sure you know what Hiroshima Day, if you don't. On the 6th of August, 1945, the United States of America dropped a nuclear bomb on Hiroshima. Three days later, they dropped another nuclear bomb on Nagasaki. Right. Now, those of you who've been to Japan, have been to Hiroshima of Nagasaki, especially Hiroshima, when you go to the centre of the city, you will see the destruction that occurred. There's a small area, the centre of the city, the town hall, that's been left intact to remind people. Now, as we move towards a nuclear war, and let's not forget, there are a number of nuclear powers in the world today. Not all nuclear projectiles are going to be blown up in midair, like not all drones are blown up in midair. The fact is there is a growing movement in this country and around the world to ensure that Hiroshima never happens again. I think we've been lulled into a false sense of security since the demise of the Soviet Union 
thinking that the nuclear arsenal that's around the world is somehow going to stay as a nuclear arsenal and is not going to be used. The fact is, it's quite highly likely that in the next 10 years, if things continue as they're continuing, we may find ourselves in a situation where a nuclear bomb is unleashed somewhere in the world on some unsuspecting city for God knows what reason. So marking the 78th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima on the 6th of August 1945 once again has become an important day to remember. And there are Hiroshima Day protests across the country. Now, I'm not sure where they are around the world, but I do know in Melbourne they'll be held at 1pm outside the State Library of Victoria. So it's something we need to think about. Because ultimately, ultimately, concentrating power in the hands of a minuscule minority is the perfect recipe for nuclear disaster. I know it sounds extraordinary and you don't think it'll ever happen. As people never thought World War II would happen or World War I would happen or the Vietnam War would happen or the Korean War would happen or Afghanistan would once again be ruled by the Taliban and the list goes on and on. But the fact is that these things happen and they'll continue to happen if we, as a people, don't stand up and actually oppose the militarisation of this country and the hand-holding by the Australian and the United States military-industrial complex. Have you smelt it? You smelt the stench coming out of the Victorian Parliament? What an extraordinary little place it is, the Victorian Parliament. What an extraordinary place. The stench. The stench of corruption. The the stench of, you know, jobs for the boys. Punishing people who um, don't follow the agenda. The stench surrounding the privatisation of the public housing sector. Well, if you live in Melbourne and you're listening to this program right now, you've got a chance. You have a great chance to see the Victorian Parliament in action. At 3pm today, that's the 2nd of August, 2023, uh, the Victorian Greens will be holding a rally on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. And then I'll be inviting people who are at that rally to accompany them to the uh, public gallery of the Legislative Council, which will be involved in a debate, a two-hour debate, regarding public housing in the state of Victoria between 4 to 6pm. Now, the public galleries are no longer public galleries. You need an invitation by a political representative in that chamber 
for you to actually sit in the public gallery and watch the public debate. So if you want to bring... Look, you could always bring a clothes peg and put it on your nose when you go upstairs, but um, pop in. Go to the rally at 3 o'clock. Join them. Go to the public gallery, the Legislative Council. Listen to the debate on public housing. Obviously, the stand that Margaret Kelly has made has galvanised the public housing debate and unfortunately, she may be, she may be the person who will be taking the can for this stand. Because on the 7th of August, which is Monday, she will be evicted from a public housing unit she has inhabited for over 25 years. So, go along. If you can't come along to that, come along to the vigil tomorrow on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, one, uh, midday to 1pm, public housing, everybody's business. Now, there are debates at federal and state level regarding housing. It's all about somehow the public purse financing the private sector to build housing. Extraordinary debate. The boy who grew up in public housing, who at the age of 12 organised a rent strike of public housing tenants because of an increasing thing, Mr Albanese, is now the cheerleader for the private sector as far as providing housing for people. No wonder the, the Australian Greens will be hopefully blocking the second passage of this legislation through Parliament. Doing a little bit is not enough. We need to do much, much more. And obviously in a country as rich as Australia, not one person should be sleeping in a car or on the streets we're in a friend's house or couch searching somewhere in this country. But unfortunately, in a country where we give over our natural resources, the country's natural resources, to the private sector to develop on our behalf and give us a peppercorn rent in return, obviously there's never any enough resources for public housing, public health, public education, public roads, and the list goes on and on and on. Productivity, the holy grail. Productivity, the holy grail. Hmm? You like that? Productivity. Now, we're all told that productivity is the key to improved life for everybody. Hmm? Productivity. That means producing more, working harder. Why are we producing more? Why are we working harder? When two-thirds of profits go to investors and one-third goes to the people who do that work? Why do we need increased pro productivity in a society where more and more of our disposable income and, more importantly, our disposable hours are going to support a virtual world? Social media, artificial intelligence, the new revolution, 
the digital revolution, which makes the state stronger, centralises power, which makes us weaker. Now, I'm interested in exploring the concept of 21st century Luddism. The Luddites were named after a mythical leader of the Machine Smashing Brigade during the Industrial Revolution, King Ned Ludd. And they got a bad rap. Like anarchists, they get a bad rap. Like Philistines, they got a bad rap. And many of them actually ended up in Australia as convicts, believe it or not. Many were hung. But why were they smashing machinery? Well, they, 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 weren't, they weren't against technology. They were against inappropriate technology. They were against technology which makes people's lives worse. And that's what we face in the 21st century. That's the problem we face in the 21st century. We have a technological revolution, a digital revolution, an artificial intelligence revolution. But ultimately, does it make people's lives any better? Does it make your life any better? Does it make my life any better? Considering how technology is being used not only to control people, but to harvest resources from people, you begin to understand that technology or innovations in technology are not the answer in the majority of cases. If they were, we'd be talking about a 10-hour week and a universal basic income. But we're not talking about a 10-hour week and a universal basic income as technology Improves What we're talking about is increased productivity to increase profits. Well, thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on the Community Radio 3CR, this Community Radio Network. This program has been coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. You can write to us. Yes, we still love letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Or you can send nice cards. I like some nice cards. Sent to 3CR, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com, info at pipsy.net. And just in case you're still interested in political activity, social activity, cultural activity, egalitarian change, think about joining public interest before corporate interest. Go to their website, pipsy.net. I'm a member, I've been, I'm a foundation member and I continue to be the registered officer of a public interest before corporate interest. And if you've got any stamps, we need them desperately, $1.20 stamps, send them to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, larger.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.